Welcome to the CEC report for the 3rd of November 2017. I'm Elisa Barwick and joining me today is CEC Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome Robert. Thanks Elisa. But just before you continue, I think the audience needs to know we've both discovered we are dual citizens. So in the interest of full disclosure, uh. they can decide whether we were qualified to comment on Australian politics or not. <laughs> we will try and rectify that situation. We weren't quite aware, but we are. So. <laughs> um, it's up to the audience to judge us for, our, for the quality of our work. <laughs> but never, nevertheless, we'll continue. Um, so two items today. We have mobilisation to stop APRA bail-in law fires up. The countdown is on. And secondly, time for Australian Labor to get with the revolution against neoliberalism. So firstly, mobilisation to stop APRA bail-in law fires up. The countdown is on. Now, of course, our regular viewers will be very familiar by now with this campaign against APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority's new proposed legislation um, asked for or requested by the Treasury uh, in order to deal or manage during a financial crisis. And uh, the government has made it clear uh, that there will be a new financial crisis, even though they won't exactly explicitly say that, but the legislation makes it abundantly clear. Now, this is the legislation that we warned of in 2013. It's been in preparation since 2012. 2013, after Cyprus um, had a, what's called a bail-in, where uh, deposits were confiscated in order to save banks, we warned it was coming to Australia. It was denied by government at that time. Um, nevertheless, it was pushed by the G20 process and when Australia chaired the G20 in 2014, we led the campaign and actually defeated it at least temporarily, but it's back again now. Now, the campaign uh, has seen a really important shift actually, uh, Robert, and the reports we're getting, of course, are excellent. Well, as we discussed last week, we, um, when Craig and I did the show, we urged everyone, get involved, make calls. And it's very important, like some, sometimes you think, is there any point me, an, an individual citizen, doing anyone with members, anything with members of parliament? Look, they're all ordinary people too, right? And what, as we, the fact that this bill has been um, in preparation for so long proves that when the Treasurer describes it as technical amendments, he's trying to downplay it so it sort of gets snuck through under the radar. Most members of Parliament, they're normal people, they're very busy, they've got all kinds of issues on their plate, including now whether they're dual citizens, right? Um, it takes calls from the community, and lots of them, for their staffers to say, listen, we're starting to get a lot of calls on this subject, we better look at it. Because then what that does, it forces them to make a moral choice. Am I, as a Member of Parliament, prepared to rubber stamp this kind of bill, which gives these extraordinary powers to manage a crisis to APRA on behalf of the banks, or am I going to do my job to protect citizens in a crisis? And before, once upon a time, that kind of debate might have been academic, but since 2008, it's not. They know that the world has saw a grave injustice in the bailout of 2008 and all the bankers got off scot-free and all the victims lost in America, places like America that lost their homes big time. They know that. They know that people will not tolerate it again. And members of parliament, so, that's, so the main issue is bringing it to their attention so they can see it in those terms. Every call is important. So what we've been doing is deploying people and so far it's going really, really well. We're getting lots of people to make lots of calls, call all the senators in their state. People are calling us back and say, who else can I call? So that we've got a short list of other targets for them. And we've finally got some members of parliament's attention. Yes, so <clears throat> this week we had the very good news that the Greens in the Senate 
uh, have clued on to the dangers of this bill. They have um, announced that they will push it into committee in order to examine it far more closely because um, they, like we have said, they've also said that this is an extensive bill. It amends previous legislation. Very complex. It's long and complex, difficult to actually find out what the hell it's about when no one's telling them either. Um, and they have concerns also that it could, some of the wording could be vague enough not just to confiscate the so-called bail-in bonds that we've been talking about on the show, but also potentially deposits whole scale under certain circumstances. And I'll just give an example of that wording. Um, I'll give two examples. This is from the explanatory memorandum of the bill, Elisa. So we'll put this precise wording up on the board. So in this page 90, it says, Summary of New Law 5.11. This bill amends the acts, etc. to provide that. Conversion or write-off can happen despite any impediment there may be in, and there's a list of possible impediments, the first one is any domestic or foreign law. So they're, they're saying what we're going to do here overrides all other law, right? So that's very significant, very broad. What does that mean? What can that be used for? And this is even more significant, and it's, sorry about the dry language, but this is, this is why lawyers sometimes do earn their money. Um, in 5.14 on page 92, what this, this section here is basically saying, we're going to use this language of conversion and write-off provisions, quote-unquote, to replace the previous language we often use of loss absorption requirements. And regular viewers of the show would have heard us talk about TLAC, Total Loss Absorbing Capital. That's what it's been referred to for a long time. They're, they're proposing to replace that language with this idea of conversion and write-off provisions. And then it says that will um, leave room for future changes including changes that might refer to instruments that are not currently considered capital under the prudential standards. So at the moment, deposits would not be considered capital in a bank, but in a crisis, if APRA decides, oh, well, we're going to consider deposits capital now, therefore mm. they can be converted into worthless shares, i.e. bailed in, then that's, mm. that's the kind of scope in this bill. So, That's why we've got to be Yeah, on because as we said from the get-go, these powers um, are unsupervised. It's a really a, a private body that's got unprecedented powers to decide whatever they decide because of a crisis. Well, it, it, and just to explain that, some people sometimes take that literally. It's, APRA is a government body. Um, what happens is Australia has this hang-up that every authority has to be independent. But when you put, especially financial authorities, when you make them independent and the people who run those authorities often tend to be bankers, former bankers, well, they're going to act like bankers and by, by all, for all intents and purposes, they're not re therefore re representing the public, they're representing the system and that's the concern here. Plus, as we've highlighted before, a lot of these APRA powers can be done completely in secret, mm -hmm. right? And APRA can order people not to, they can, order, they can take over a bank, do this and tell the bankers you can't say a word about it. Things like that. This and the people dangerous. that do it afterwards uh, are explicitly protected from being you know, pursued legally. That's written in there as well. Yep. Um, now, one other thing I wanted to ask about. Um, the Greens also questioned in a Senate Economic Legislation Committee on the 26th of October. They questioned Greg uh, Medcraft from ASIC about these bail-inable bonds, the hybrid bonds. And uh, Medcraft, because, you know, the Greens said, look, we believe there are risks. What's your opinion on it? Medcraft said these things. He said they can be written off with a stroke of a pen. They are banned, he said, in the UK for retail sale. He said people don't understand the risks involved. They see only the high interest rates and 
they buy in because the other interest rates are so low. And finally, he said, I do think this is, frankly, a ticking time bomb. Well, we warned about this in July 2016. Beware bail-in bonds. We pointed out that, for instance, the Commonwealth Bank had just sold a, a bevy of them for at 7.5% interest. And if you're a self-funded retiree in Australia, desperate for some kind of interest rate because interest rates are so low, and the Commonwealth Bank of all banks comes to you and says, buy this, where, mm. whereas in, in England, the Commonwealth Bank wouldn't be allowed to sell it to you as a self-funded retiree because they're complicated and you can be set up. But who in Australia is going to say no? That was our warning then. Well, the head of ASIC has just made the same warning and, like you said, called him a ticking time bomb, but he made it two days before he quit as the head of ASIC. Yeah. Right, this is, I'm glad he said it, mm. but it's also pretty disgusting. That's how the system works. People get very honest when it doesn't matter anymore. We said this a year ago. That's the, that's the real issue here. And people have to be very wary of what they're being sold. And one more thing, sorry. He also revealed there's $43 billion worth of them mm. in Australia. $43 billion. He said... Um, sometimes people, you know, have bought them in packages of, say, 50,000. What that means is you could have close to a million Australians mm. owning bundles of these. A million Australians. Which will all assuredly be wiped out yep. in a so-called crisis. That's so what he's warning. They will be wiped out. They will be bailed in. They will be cancelled. Yeah, guaranteed. Um, now, call us up to find out more information on ringing your senators and who we want you to ring. We have less than a month to defeat this bill because the um, House, uh, both Houses of Parliament sit again on the 27th of November for two weeks. So we have to defeat it before that time. We want you to ring all your senators in your state. Don't worry about the government. Not the Liberal senators, all Labor senators and, and the rest, especially Labor senators. They've got to have a lot of pressure on them. People should call, if you don't know how to contact them off, off the Parliament website, etc. call us, call our 1800 number. We'll give you that information and you can call them and we can also give you other people you can call. But we need everyone to get involved. These calls will make a difference. Yep. Now we'll stop for a moment but we'll be right back to talk about the latest on the housing bubble after this break. Welcome back to the CEC report where we're discussing the update on the uh, mobilisation against APRA's emergency powers for a time of crisis. Now, the other thing I'll add to what we were just discussing is that our Glass-Steagall petition has just been accepted into uh, by the Parliament. So that'll be, hopefully it'll be read out in the next session of Parliament. That's a possibility, which would be a beautiful contrast to what they're going to be debating because it really is the only alternative. Yeah, with these calls we're making. All, a lot of them, most, all MPs will be on notice about this, then they'll get to be sitting in there while the, our petition's read out be reminded that Glass-Steagall is the alternative to this. Mm. Now, we're going to talk about the fast pace um, crash within the housing bubble, which looks like it is on for young, young and old. Now, we had a press release that we issued yesterday titled Collapse of APRA's Property Bubble Has Started, Glass-Steagall Now. And you can get, there's quite a bit of detail, um, which I'll go through quickly, but you can call in if you haven't already for a free copy of our weekly publication, the Australian Alert Service, where you can get all the details of all of the topics that we discuss on the show. Um, so let's just go through and I'll get your comment on it, some of uh, what has come out over the last couple of weeks. Firstly, investment bank Citibank is warning that housing price, there's, there will be a housing price decline of up to 20% 
which will potentially lead to an 80% collapse in residential housing sales. And the thing to understand, if it's 20%, that's just the beginning. Yeah, and one of Citibank's sources puts a 90% probability on that happening of a 10 to 20% crash in house prices over the next one to two years. Then you have Robert Gottliebson from The Australian, who on 26 October uh, reported that Sydney apartment prices have fallen over 33% and cites another analyst uh, saying it will reach at least 50%. And of course, the same is happening in Sydney and uh, sorry, in Melbourne and Brisbane. And one of the knock on effects from that, Elisa, is the construction workers, right, that have been most, you know, it's the second biggest sector in Australia. If they suddenly start losing their jobs because of that slowdown in Sydney, where most of the construction has been, that's going to have a, a knock-on effect as well. Mm. Now, the clearance rates of uh, house sales over the last couple of weekends are below 70%. A year ago, <coughs> a year ago they were over 78%. Um, one of the largest property groups in Australia, Stockland, is warning if housing is destabilised, it will put the economy, the entire economy, into recession guaranteed because it's the largest asset class in the country. Whereas we'd say it'll trigger <clears throat> a full-blown banking crash like it did in America, England, Ireland, Spain, etc. Yeah, et much worse. Um, ANZ boss Shane Elliott has warned about uh, how high the household leverage is with household debt and APRA chairman Wayne Byers did the same, saying that there are, quote, a lot of things that seem at extremes. Thanks, so, Wayne. you know, they're understated as always, but they can't deny it anymore. The Reserve Bank has said investors may be underestimating the downside risks they face and that this could increase the likelihood that an adverse shock would lead to a sharp and disruptive correction in asset prices. So um, to translate that, <laughs> if they were to actually say what they mean, this housing bubble is going to come down. There's nothing. And why do we keep, people might, regular viewers might think that's all the CEC talks about. This is the Achilles heel of the Australian economy. This is the sort of Damocles hanging over it. We put everything into housing. Wayne buys APRA, got the banks to put everything into housing. And it's a bigger bubble than America's in 2008, than Spain's, etc. Um, when it goes, it's going to take the system with it. And don't ignore these signs. Mm. Now, one interesting uh, update, which is covered in the alert service, is that this week a HSBC banker, Mark Johnson, was charged by a federal jury in Brooklyn with nine counts of conspiracy and wire fraud. Uh, during the global financial crisis, he had colluded with colleagues to make money by undercutting their clients and the clients lost money as a result, they made money. Um, so this is interesting because basically no one has been uh, yeah. jailed or prosecuted. He could face 30 years jail for each count for this, so we'll see um, what the sentencing ends up being. Um, but this could be a, a warning, it could be the start of a dramatic shift because there are changes going on across the globe uh, where governments are beginning to acknowledge that we have to change policy. HSBC was the bank that the Obama administration used as the excuse to not jail bankers because they said it could cause another crisis if we did that, and that became led to the term to be to jail. That was based on HSBC. This is being interpreted as possibly, now that there's a new president, a shift, right? And it's going to have big consequences, but good consequences. They should have gone to jail. Absolutely. And I think because, you know, it didn't stop a new financial crisis by not prosecuting them. There no, are <laughs> some people that are recognising, well, we better actually deal with the problem. And after the break, we're going to come back and talk about the 
political shift and the policy shift that is happening across the globe. It's now reached New Zealand. It's, we've talked about it in the UK. When's it coming to Australia? Yep. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Time for Australian Labor to get with the revolution against neoliberalism. Now, we've talked much on the show over recent weeks about the revolution in policies that we've promoted here in Australia uh, for nearly 30 years becoming mainstream over there because of the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn, the opposition Labor Party leader there, and his team. And of course, they've, um, in their party platform, had the ideas of renationalising a lot of the privatised national assets, um, policies akin to Glass-Steagall banking separation. A and national investment bank. A national investment bank to invest government money into infrastructure and build the nation. Um, so those ideas are becoming mainstream there and through Labor, it's filtering uh, throughout the world really, there's a debate that has started and what we've just seen is that in the New Zealand election, there's a potential for that to take hold. Um, now, of course, we have Jacinda Ardern in a, it was a hung parliament, so there's a coalition and the interesting part, which we'll come back to, is the other part of the coalition, not the Labor part, but Winston Peters, and we'll go through a bit of his background and why there's a potential for these ideas to come through that pathway. So already, just in the early days, these are some of the policies they're discussing. Uh, renegotiating the Trans-Pacific Partnership, restricting foreign ownership of real estate, restricting the use of public-private partnerships, PPPs, and tearing up some of the existing ones with schools and so forth. Uh, they're talking about moving towards freer education. So the first year of tertiary education would be free which immediately. Is a, which is a Jeremy Corbyn policy. Yeah. Uh, establishing an affordable housing authority to build affordable homes and raising the minimum wage. So and The outcome of the New Zealand election was surprising because uh, it wasn't expected at all. But it happened because of those policies, right? This is what New Zealand First and Labor were able to agree on, those policies. And that's a definite shift away from New Zealand, Elisa, has been a neoliberal paradise. They even went further than Thatcherism in many respects on free trade, deregulation, privatisation. They privatised the hell out of the country, right? And we did a big extensive study on this in 1997 in our New Citizen, which people can find on our website, how, just how dramatic it was. We called it Nazi reforms, crack New Zealand, Australia next. Mm. And that's what's happened. Um, so this is a big shift backwards and it's as you said it's a, it's in the wake of what uh, Corbyn yeah. precipitated in the United and Kingdom. Say something about Winston Peters because he was twice sacked from governments for criticising free trade policy, privatisation policy specifically and spent the last 19 years in opposition because he refused to do deals on those things. His longevity but the fact he's still been in there mm. is proof that the public never bought into this consensus. This consensus, they call the neoliberal consensus, was only between the elites at the top. The public never liked deregulation, never liked privatisation, never liked the consequences of free trade, ever. And so for that reason, people like Jeremy Corbyn kept getting elected, even though his own party hated him. And people like Winston Peters was able to have a niche in politics, even though he's up against the established parties and the Murdoch media over there, right? and just kept sticking to his principles on this. I'm not saying we're necessarily going to agree with everything he mm. said, but what we've looked at 
a lot of it's quite impressive, including the fact that he has made the biggest stink about bail-in in New Zealand than, any, than all members of parliament over there. So this is good. Yeah. And look, there's elections coming up in Australia which can be used to our benefit to get these policies circulating. Because as you said at the start of the show, politicians do become quite conscious of whether they're representing the people yeah. at election time. Um, so there's <clears throat> the debate over the APRA bill, which is increasing. You have a new momentum for a royal commission into banking or a parliamentary inquiry. The crossbenchers in the parliament are saying that George Christensen, the National Party MP who nearly crossed the floor last time this came up in May, could do it this time. It could be a private member's bill. And Rebecca Sharkey, the uh, Xenophon team MP, put her finger on the issue. She said George's community would like us to do something about the banks. But, and that's the point. But there's one other thing, and that is there's also indications the unions may be pushing for this. And let's talk about the Australian unions because they are the key reason that the Labor Party started in Australia in the first place. There was a movement, a mass movement, like what you see in the UK. But we don't have that in Australia today in no. our unions. What has happened to them? Well, they, like, like you said, they founded the Labor Party. It was their baby. But they founded it on principle. They said at the time in the, in the 1890s, they said just being focusing on wages and conditions is too narrow. They even called it selfish. Said we're going to have a new unionism where we become political and fight for policies that benefit the country as a whole because that's what will benefit the workers. And the labor, that gave birth to the Labor Party and the Labor movement that we was so instrumental in um, the first you know, the majority of Australia's history, frankly, it built yeah, Australia. Old Labor, which is really the policies we represent. But to be honest, you know, when you saw that raid the other week at the AWU, um, mm. it is corrupt. The union movement has become corrupt. They've done deals. They've done, they did deals with the Labor Party leadership of Hawke and Keating to sell out in exchange for f frauds like superannuation. Um, they do smaller deals than that, and they really have lost their way. We've, we've talked to lots of them, and they don't disagree with the policies. They're just not interested in doing that anymore. They've found a niche. And while that's happened, the, the members they've represented have collapsed in numbers because the industries that employed them have been wiped out, mm. right? They went along with neoliberalism. Unions in the UK did the same thing, Elisa, but they have learnt their lesson, and it was because union support for Jeremy Corbyn especially this Unite Union, the biggest union there, that he was able to survive these two years where he, the establishment was trying to crucify him. Now he's in a position to actually deliver for the whole country and the union movement. Mm. And that's what the unions here have to learn from. Yeah, they can drive the shift here if they get their act together. Now, they did have some good advice uh, last week in Wollongong on the 26th of October. There was a conference of the South Coast Labor Council under the banner Australia Buy It Back. And they had a special guest from the United Kingdom, Ian Lavery. He's an MP and the uh, campaign manager for Jeremy Corbyn. And he spoke to that event. He said, look, the campaign, he briefed them on the campaign to reverse privatisation in the UK. And he compared the suffering people have gone through over there to what's happening in Australia now. He said, look, no political party or institution has the right to exist if they have forsaken the needs of the people. And he said it's not good enough to go to an election saying vote for us because we're better than the other guy. We're, we're, not, not, as we're not as bad as the other guy. And we've had that from unions so long. We say, why do you keep supporting the Labor Party? Mm. Oh, they're not as bad as the Liberals. Yeah. He's saying that's not good enough. And then as part of that, he went on to say that the only effective method of organising is face-to-face organising, building a mass movement and standing for principles for the many, not the few. Well... On that note, Lisa, I would recommend people call in and get the latest alert service. There's a fascinating article in the back here about how 
Jeremy Corbyn almost by 10 seconds missed out on becoming the leader of the party and changing history, but that 10 seconds worked in his favour and there's a contrasting article to that. It's really worth reading. History hangs on important, extraordinary individuals doing the right thing. Yeah. But also get involved in the campaign like we said at the beginning. Call in, get your list of senators and get involved with us. Yeah, we've got to defeat this bill in the next month and we'll talk to you again about it next week.